Hi, welcome to the Neurosec Podcast. We are on a mission to flip the script on neurodiversity in cybersecurity, technology, society, and culture. My name is Nathan Chung, and today my special guest is the amazing artist Amanda Hubert Hughes. Welcome, Amanda. Thank you so much. Hello. So to start, uh, can you tell us more about you? Sure. Um, again, my name is Amanda. Um, I'm an autistic artist and author. I'm an abstract artist. I'm an author of a children's book. And I am openly autistic because I think it is helpful for everyone else out there who is autistic um, to know that where we're at and to inspire and encourage each other and to help destigmatize autism for um, the rest of the world and um, get to know each other better and um, appreciate each other. Absolutely. So be being openly autistic, when did you first find out that you were autistic? Did you get a formal diagnosis? Yeah, so um, this was really interesting. I'm a late, late diagnosis for autism. And as I learned about and realized my diagnosis, I realized that there are so many other women out there with the same story that I have. Um, and that story is that they have a child who is diagnosed with autism. And so, um, that's kind of how it happened for me as well. I stumbled across it um, out of the heart and care of, of research for my son. And um, I remember the day I read nine times out of 10, the autism is genetic. And I thought, hmm. <laughs> and sometimes there are those moments in your life where that hmm moment is the start of something pretty significant in your life. And for me, it was. And um, I started to kind of come around um, to why, why could I understand and help my son so successfully in his challenges? You know, we'd see him having challenges. I would look at it. I'd be like, I know what that is. I know exactly what's happening. I know how he feels. You know, I feel it. And I'd be able to, you know, step in and um, help them through it and just kind of counsel them through that. Um, so that's actually happened to, to a lot of women um, because it's so difficult in a lot of cases for autism to be recognized in women. Um, and I mean, I guess there's, there's a lot of self-awareness um, and masking that can happen on both, you know, men and women, of course. Um, so I, I did my research. I went to two, I went to two opinions, two different psychiatrists, and they both gave me um, informal diagnosis. They said, yes, we think you're right. And, and I was like, okay. So it was such great news for me because it was that it was like my whole life, there was like this outline of something totally missing, um, just questions unanswered, you know, why I was so different, why I wasn't like, you know, I didn't think like everybody else. Um, socially, I wasn't able to, you know, play the social sport that 
Um, other girls were playing, AKA, you know, the, the art of, you know, gossip and building friends that way. And I just, there was, there's no logic and there's no rationale in, um, I guess the, the social convention of, um, you know, certain like, I know, I, I know, I, I know that feeling all too well. I am also autistic. Like for me, it's very similar to you. It's like just doing like forming friendships, just, just, or just talking to people. It is a challenge for me too. Yeah. I mean, I like, I appreciate interacting with people when it's a, an exchange of information. Like that's a conversation for me. Like you got stuff to tell me like information. I got, you know, information to share with you about our, our work and, and that kind of thing. Um, but when it comes to, you know, talking about, you know, feelings and how feelings and play in situations, I'm just, I just can't play that well. I, I don't connect with it. It's just, you know, you know what I mean? So, um, absolutely <laughs> so absolutely realizing and finding out that i was autistic answered pretty much all of the questions it healed relationships from my childhood and my family when i told my family um it answered all the questions for them and so that was a lot of healing um it tremendously impacted my marriage and um healed our marriage and, and now we just know how to recognize you know, I know how to recognize um, when I'm facing a challenge or whatever, um, instead of, you know, before getting to the fight or flight mode, I can kind of tell my husband like, okay, I'm reaching the danger zone. So let's, you know, adjust and respond. And, you know, he's, he's with me and supportive and, and all that kind of thing. So, um, so yeah, that's, that was, I got my, I found this out when I was, 34, I think, and I am a month away from 37. So um, it's been a really great past couple of years, just being able to understand myself and then explain myself to others, which I've never been able to do. Absolutely. I, I've gone through a similar journey as, as you described. So uh, what challenges do you experience day to day and how do you cope? So my coping mechanisms are definitely my routine. Um, I try to go on, you know, vacations for the sake of my family. Um, but that is very difficult for me because it's outside of the routine. It's outside of familiar things. Um, my wheelhouse is really is really my routine, my my being able to focus on my work, um, being able to focus on things that in my mind, like this really matters. This makes sense. This is a logical use of my time, um, helping others, creating something new. Um, I as an artist myself, I always laugh when I walk past the paint by numbers in the craft store because I know that that's relaxing to a lot of people and they should do that. But for me, for me to do a paint by number, um, it's, I'm not creating anything new and it would, it just makes me laugh when I walk past it. So I like to spend my time, you know, on things that really matter and make sense. Wonderful. Wonderful. 
I'm curious though, like having autism, does art provide you an outlet for expression? And if so, can you describe what it feels like? That's a really good question. Yeah, you know, it does uh, because I get the opportunity to uh, express an idea and something new through something visual. Um, when I look at something that inspires me, I have this, this filter in my mind and it, and it goes through this filter and it gets translated into a different image, into the, the parts that really are meaningful to me of what I looked at. And then I put it on canvas. I would call that, you know, a translation, my translation of something, but putting it into something visual that I hope others can enjoy um, and can find relaxing by looking at it, um, find fascinating, coming up with new ideas of their own, um, that kind of thing. So I'd say that that's certainly uh a form of expression. You know, I don't have to use my words when I'm painting a picture. I get to offer something completely new without using any words. Love it. And uh, can you describe really quick uh, your journey to becoming an artist? Sure. Well, I've I've always known that I was, I guess you'd call good at art. You know, nowadays, good at art. What does that mean? It means you can paint exactly what you see and people say, yeah, that looks like exactly the thing that you're painting. And, you know, uh, that you're painting a bird. Yep, your painting looks just like the bird. So you're a good artist. You know, that's kind of the, the cliche uh, example of a idea of a good artist. I've always been able to reproduce things really accurately when it came to art. Um, it was just... It was just natural. I was able to do that. I'm probably because of my sensory intake, um, my perspective. Um, that's always been something I could do. But being an abstract artist now is something that I really was excited to start because it was only in 20. I've been an artist my whole life, but it was in 2019 that I was like, I'm going to paint these images in my mind. I'm going to paint something that people don't see, you know, and, you know, why, why reproduce something that people already see when I can just create something new that nobody has seen before. And so that's where, um, another inspiration behind, um, the abstract art is that I can create something that nobody has ever seen before. Um, and that's offering something new and creating something new. Wonderful. Wonderful. So most art styles use a lot of shapes that give me a headache because my autism ADHD, it gives me sensory overload. But your artwork is very calming and I can really appreciate it. I, I'm, not an, <laughs> I'm not an art expert, so I can't tell the difference between like neoclassical or expressionism. But can you explain how your art, artistic style uh, is different in terms of colors you styles, etc.? Sure. Um, you mean like the, the category, the type of art that I do? Yes. Say? Yep. So yep. Details. <laughs> there's a lot of different art genres out there and it's like they're growing every day. It's like there's a new one every day, it seems. You know, someone might say that my art is abstract expressionism because I am using abstract images to, you know, express something that, you know, I see in my mind or um, an idea. Um, 
I like the more literal genre categorization for my art just because it makes sense. The most literal translation of my genre would be um, abstract minimalism. Um, it doesn't have, um, I don't want to use, I don't know another word, sorry. It doesn't have a lot of chaos going on. It has a lot of order. Um, it has a lot of structure. And um, I think that's why it's so calming is that the lines are steady. You know where they're headed. You know where the color begins and ends. There's nothing open to interpretation as far as what am I looking at? As far as where does this color end? Where does it begin? It's not chaotic. There's just lots of order. There's lots of structure. And within those firm boundaries, you can really, you know, explore the shapes and, and see what your where your eye wanders to. Wonderful. One thing you brought up on social media was about how detailed and creative our autistic artists are, but also how they face unconscious bias. What, what can be done to address that bias? Yeah, I think um, whenever we bring up the word autism, um, there's always that, there's still that stigma, you know, um, not everybody knows everything there is to know about autism. And um, that's probably not going to happen tomorrow either. But um, as we uh, think about autism, we think about art, a lot of us um, have an idea of what we might expect with that. Um, but if we expose ourselves to um, art and other things that autistic people, you know, create uh, with their with their paradigm, with the way they think and see the world, um, I think everyone's going to see things that they do not expect, and so that um, is really going to continue to destigmatize autism um, as we just continue to. Um, open ourselves up to saying, hey, what do you what do you have to offer? You know, um, you're a unique individual. Um, how do you how do you see this? You know, what would you create in this situation? How would you solve this problem? Um, they have just we have just as much to offer, um, not more in, in a lot of areas and a lot of perspectives. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. And biggest question of all who or what inspires you day to day um that would definitely be like when i wake up in the morning uh you know why do i get up why do i get out of bed um i would definitely say it's my my christian faith you know i've i've from my experience i've seen that you know god is the artist of artists and the author of authors and um, you know, he's really helped me to do the things that I know are important, like um, loving him and loving others and, and taking care of others. And I really want to do that better and more. And um, for my family, for um, my neuro community, for for everybody. And so that's really important to me. And so uh, he definitely inspires me and helps me to do that. Wonderful. So let's do... Uh... For the podcast, let's do something a little bit different today. I'm going to, sorry, when Amanda was gracious enough to uh, share some examples of her artwork, I'm going to sh share it on the screen. Okay, and here is her first, called first piece to show. Uh, can you tell us more about this one? I really like the blue and 
the shapes of this one? Yes, this, so this is a visual picture from my mind of the word hope. And I, I don't really need to say much more as far as, you know, viewers being able to take that word and look at this painting and really um, decide what it means for them and what it looks like for them. And, and I think that's where the viewers can really participate and take something away from this is that they look at it and, and they see what they see. And that's, that's really an exciting thing to be able to be a part of, um, to create something like this. So the, the most important aspect of, of my art, I'd say is, um, is the texture. So, you know, when you have paintings, you know, you have light, you have dark, you have um, smooth and then you have texture. Um, and so there's a lot still going on in these pieces and the texture really makes it um, them come to life. Wonderful. Um, every painting I do will have balanced texture in it. And um, it's hard to capture it in photos. Um, this one captures it. You could probably see it pretty well. But in person, um, certainly more easy to see. Um, yep, I really like this one. My, my favorite color is blue, so I'm a bit biased. <laughs> but, so about this, this this red one, when you first see this red one, my first thing, first thing that catches my eye is the, the color red. So uh, can you tell us more about this one? Sure, this one is uh, basically a translation of the phrase, pay attention. <laughs> <laughs> yep, can you tell us more about this one? Like, uh, what inspired you to crew paint this one? So this was actually um, another image that I just saw completed in my mind and I put it down so that others could see. Um, this was my second abstract piece ever. And the, the texture in this one is the, is the vermilion color. Vermilion is like a red and orange combined. And so that one has a lot of, of long, a, a large section of texture. Wonderful, wonderful. Okay, and here's the next one. This, this looks really interesting, like a lot of triangles. Yes, this one, this was my very first abstract piece. This one is called, um, neutral sailing and this was basically my my giving myself permission and like you know what i'm gonna paint something that people don't see and and this, so this was the first result of it and i loved these colors i liked neutral colors um because it I, I know a lot of people who have autism have a difficult time um, making decisions at time. I, I have that decision anxiety. My son has that. Um, <laughs> you can kind of get to this point where you're just frozen. I love neutral colors because cools, you know, cool colors, those are your blues, greens, purples. That's one end of the rainbow spectrum. And then you've got your warm colors which are reds, oranges, yellows. Those are your warm colors. And so to me, um, I enjoy times that I don't have to pick a side. I don't have to pick yes. <laughs> warms and, or cools. I can just do neutrals. Neutrals are, are pretty relaxing to me. I like those. Yep, relaxing to me too. I have one silly question since I'm 
not I have zero knowledge on artwork. So when you pick colors, do you, do you how, how do you go about picking colors? Like colors. How do I pick the colors? Well, uh, I mix them myself unless because um, you really only need the primary colors, and mm. I'm not gonna really. Uh, I I don't feel like it has a personal enough touch for me to just pick a pre-mixed color because I'd rather make my own, you know, and really fine tune the color that I want. So, I mean, obviously with blacks, I'm not having to mix the, the blacks or the whites. Um, the browns, even though um, you can get a cool brown, which is going to be a, um, a raw umber, or you can get a, a warm brown, which is like a reddish brown. That's a burnt umber, <laughs> but I'll still mix them together because I don't want to pick one or, over the other. <laughs> yep, absolutely. But Okay, next one. Tell us more about this one. I really like the green. Thank you. So this is uh, emeralds. This is from the jewels collection that I have started. I have two pieces so far for this collection. And this is a really good example of how um, with my sensory processing, you know, we can take in so much visual information at once. Um, as a side note, there's a really interesting article that I will maybe put in the comments later. Um, it's called Sensory Gating. If you want to learn a little bit for others, if they want to learn a little bit more about uh, sensory um, overload and uh, processing, there's a really cool article by Burnett Grant on Specialistern. Um, that was just published the other day and it's really, really interesting. But so that is um, touching on what I do a lot with my art is I will look at something that I think, you know, is beautiful or that I really appreciate. And I will take away the most valuable visual components and I'll just filter away everything else that's overwhelming and that's overstimulating and I'll put the good parts on canvas. And so I love the different um, aspects of a gemstone. I think that's really neat how it's, you know, there's light playing into the color and how as that light travels through the color, different things happen and um, there's shine and then there's dark. And so this is um, my painting of emeralds. Wonderful. And since you mentioned Burnett Grant, he is in the audience. Hi, well, hi, Burnett. <laughs> hi, Burnett. Okay, and it's a blue one. I, I really like this blue one too. Okay, so this is kind of a, a funny backstory on decision-making problems as well. Sure, yeah. It's okay. So um, this, by the time I got to this, this one is Sapphires. This is the Jewels collection as well. Um, uh, Sapphire is actually my birthstone. So this one is a little bit more uh, personal. The um, this canvas, I could not decide whether I was going to paint it portrait orientation or landscape orientation. And so I decided to split the difference and do a unique hang of this one. And the way the bracket is installed on this painting is that it will actually hang the way you see this photo angle. When you hang it on the wall, it will hang at that angle. And my signature will be level. If you see the signature at the bottom left-hand corner, yes. <laughs> it'll actually be level when it hangs. So, 
I love it. Makes me wonder though, how do, how do you make this? I, I, I look at how it's very textured. How do you create the textures like that? That is actually oil paint. So oh. the, that's the nice thing about when you do mixed media painting is um, it adds a variety having those different mediums working together. They really play off each other well. So I'll put oil paint for the texture um, and then I have the rest of the canvas will be acrylic. So I'll do my acrylic painting as the base. And then I usually decide exactly which parts are going to get the texture in a way that, you know, I feel like it's well balanced visually um, and puts interest just in the right places. And it it's really, really neat. You know, um, I usually encourage people to you know, they can touch the texture on the painting because that's part of the experience. But the thing about oil paint and a lot of artists will actually refuse to work with oil paint is that because um, it takes about 12 months for it to fully oxidize. So um, a lot of people don't want to deal with that, having to wait that long for their painting to be, um, you know, manageable or able to be shipped or whatever. Um, and it's really difficult to clean. You can't clean it with soap and water it's a it's a whole new animal but when i first used oil paints i was like okay yeah this is the medium that i've been missing my whole life <laughs> wow I, I just love it really love this one okay and here's the next one i look at the contrasting colors black and white yes i love doing paintings with black and white because even this one's a perfect example of so much is going on um, just with the different textures. You're talking, you know, you don't get more basic than black and white, but with all of these different textures and finishes, there's still so much to look at and explore from a sensory level. And this one is from the ACT collection. This one was collected pretty quickly. Um, this one's called Engage. And um, Engage is really, um, you can see kind of the cross, uh, the, the X in it. Just like when you're focusing on a goal, you're basically putting it in your crosshairs and you're engaging it straight on. So that is uh, from the ACT collection, Engage. I love it. <laughs> Thank you. And about this one, the, I see a lot of red, orange, and yellow. So this is um, from the Windows and Doors collection. This is obviously the portrait orientation, which is the idea behind windows and doors. Those are portrait shapes. This is called a doorway to autumn. And the colors you're looking at here, um, all the colors are textured. All the black is a, just a flat matte black. And I painted this piece uh, one year, it was late summer and I was just really, really eager for fall. And so I said, you know what? I'm just going to make fall happen right here and right now. <laughs> and so I chose my favorite fall colors, um, the vermilion, which is, again, the red and the orange combination, uh, the pumpkin orange. And um, so the middle color, can you guess what that color is called, Nathan? I have no idea. Let's go to the orange. <laughs> okay. Do you see... Do you see two different colors combined in it? What colors do you see in that middle color? Sorry, all I see is yellow. <laughs> okay, that's good. That's one of the colors, so you're not wrong. So that is a green and yellow combination. And oh. that is actually, that is chartreuse. A lot of people, 
think chartreuse is pink, but it is not. Chartreuse is yellow and green mixed together. And so we, um, we had a house one time that had a forest behind it. And when it was fall, all of the trees turned this chartreuse. And when the sun would shine through it, it was just like this amazing glow. And um, that made me appreciate the color chartreuse. And that had a huge impression on me. And so I made sure that chartreuse was um, the spotlight in this piece. Incredible. <laughs> I did not know any of that. <laughs> Thanks hey, for playing the question game. So <laughs> <laughs> how about this one? This looks amazing. So this one actually has a, a heavier, um, I guess you'd say experience or story connected with this. This one is from the ACT collection. Obviously, the ACT collection involves verbs and actions. This one is called Forgive. And this was an impromptu piece that I did on a day that I learned of a choice somebody had made. It was an acquaintance. It wasn't really, you know, they were, they were friends, I guess. They didn't do anything wrong. They just made a choice that disappointed me. And, it, you know, it hurt me. I was sad. I had some feelings about it. But I knew that it didn't make any sense to have any kind of um, bitterness or unforgiveness. They hadn't done anything wrong. Um, they had just made a choice that disappointed me. And so I knew that. I needed to forgive them um, in order to move forward just in a healthy way. And so I did this piece that day. And by the time I finished this piece, um, I, I felt like I had gotten through the process of, of forgiving them. And, and I believe I did. Wow. That's a really powerful story. Thank you. I think hard question would be like, as you painted this one, like, was, was this a, a more difficult piece to paint? Because of the emotion behind it and yep. involved with it? Yep. Do you, do you think it was harder? I think that it would have been if I didn't feel like I had help. Like I knew that I wasn't going to be able to forgive them on my own strength that I needed outside help. And, you know, for me, for instance, with my, with my faith, I expect and receive that help from a higher power, which is God. So my efforts were, you know, the blocks down at the bottom left-hand corner that can't quite reach the top. Those are my efforts. They can't quite completely successfully reach the point of forgiveness, but the help that comes from the top right comes down and it helps me complete that process of forgiveness. And so um, that was a picture of that process for me. Wow, that is incredible. Thank you for sharing that story. Sure. Okay. And how about this one? I, this... this one's fun, right? <laughs> yep. First thing that comes to mind is it's like, like space. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like a, like a whirl, whirlwind kind of thing. This one is, uh, let's see, what collection is this from? This is also from the ACT collection. This one's called Create. And um, <laughs> there's a lot of words for describing this one. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm I guess, not sure if I'm up for all the words for this So I one. guess for starters, like what inspired you to paint this one? 
Well, again, I saw the image in my mind. Ah. And so I uh, put it down on canvas and, uh, you know, balanced out. I made sure I added the texture and um, that it was balanced. That's important. You know, visually it has to be balanced. The lines have to be clean. Um, a lot of people think I use tape for my lines. I paint them all freehand. All the clean lines are freehand. Wow. That's incredible. <laughs> yes. Um, it's, it's focused, detailed work. And every, uh, every dab, every mark matters. And oil paint, again, is not forgiving. So you can't really mess up with oil paint and not have to start over. So just zeroing in and just focusing my concentration and intentions on these paintings. A lot goes into every single one. Wonderful. I guess one question that just brings to mind is like when you're painting, like are you totally completely focused on the work or like how do you, how, how are you totally focused or do you sometimes get distracted by like pets, kids, uh, partners, etc.? Um, Yes and yes. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I do get very, very, very focused, very hyper-focused in, um, in my paintings. Um, and yes, I do get distracted um, by dogs and family members and stuff like that. And, you know, that's, that's a, a exercise of, you know, self-control too, because I don't want it. When I'm focused in my painting, I don't want to transition and deal with, you know, whatever has just come into my zone, into my world, but, um, but they're people I care about. And so I have to make sure that my heart and my mind's in the right place. I also make sure that when I am going to paint, I do try to set up the right situation to begin with. So I don't set myself up to fail in that area. Wonderful. Wonderful. Okay. And down to our last piece. So this, a lot of colors. Yes, this one um, is actually behind me. This was, uh, this is actually not my largest abstract piece. My largest abstract piece is eight feet long. And um, so I don't have, I didn't add that in the pictures. I figured I had to stop somewhere. There were so many pieces <laughs> of art I had. Like I could only send so many. Um, this one is called Lex Talionis, which is Latin for eye for an eye. And the texture in this painting is only found in the white floating boxes. Um, and you can see those around. There's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. There's eleven floating white boxes. And um, this is basically a, a rainbow of grays. Um, but you know, that's the literal, that's literally what you're looking at as a rainbow of grace. But when you look at it, you can see so many different things. You can focus in on, you know, just three shapes that are clustered together and you see a design and then you zoom out and you see, you know, a bigger cluster of shapes and you see a new design. Um, so eye for an eye, it's kind of like, what does your eye see as you explore this? Because everybody's eye is going to settle maybe on a different part and see a different shape. Wonderful, wonderful. Okay, and let me stop sharing real quick. So I get had, and I had one, one quick 
question from the audience. Uh, where, where does your mind travel creating art? And as in, does it start internally or via outward influences? Uh, if both where does it begin and where does it end? Is it linear or cyclical? I think probably linear. Um, if I see something that inspires me as far as, you know, when I'm looking at something, I'm taking in a lot. And if I like what I'm seeing, certain aspects will stand out to me as to which aspects I really appreciate and that I think are the most meaningful of what I'm looking at. And then I'll take those components and then I will put those on canvas um, and really just spotlight and, and highlight, you know, the important parts um, that others can really zero in on with me and, and appreciate. Wonderful, wonderful. I think big, another big question is, are you working on any new projects? So uh, as of today, my uh, hot off the press project is a children's book that <laughs> I wrote and illustrated. Yes, thank you. Congratulations. It's, thank you so let me, much. Let me share the image. Can you tell us more about this book? I can tell you a lot about it. I can tell you about kind of the history behind it. Um, I wrote this book actually back in 2007. I was, at the time I was a, a nanny, I was on a job, the child was sleeping and I was sitting there with, you know, my journal. I didn't have social media back then that I was just, you know, consuming information on my phone. Um, I had my journal with me and I, this story just came to me. And so I wrote the whole thing down and it was just, there it was, it was all in, in one, one piece. And so it actually has, uh, a really meaningful, uh, message to it. It's really helpful. It's basically uses logic to help young minds connect the dots in you know, the areas where they experience frustration and it demystifies um, some of the biggest, most stressful obstacles that they hit. And so um, I included, yeah, here's a couple of images from the illustrations that I did for a couple of the scenes. I wanted to give you guys a little uh, insight into it. Okay, sure, go ahead. Style is like. Yeah. And um, this is the library scene, obviously. I even put a little um, Easter egg on the shelf. If you look at the back bookshelf at the top, it has the Why Does Mommy Say No book cover hidden in there. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so that's the library scene. And let's see, how do I give you guys a good idea about it without giving it all away? I think I've, I've really kind of touched on the, the message. Um, it does have a surprise ending, a really sweet surprise ending. And so that I will leave um, as a mystery. Okay. Or, um, but pre-orders have opened today. And Wonderful. Um, the perk of doing the pre-order is that those will be signed copies. Ooh. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and all this, this looks like a kitchen. I hear see a dog. Yep. All the little details. There's, um, there's actually the two toys on the floor. I did, mm -hmm. I did little tweaks to them so that they wouldn't be the exact same, 
but those are kind of tributes to some toys that my children used to play with when they were tiny. So I kind of immortalized them in the book, Wonder. which they appreciate. <laughs> <laughs> and this is published by Bandersnatch Books, uh, which I think is just such a cool name for a publishing company. I'm so thrilled to be represented by them. Bandersnatch Books is just the coolest, coolest name and they have a great um, mission and some great, great pieces. So I say pieces because I'm an artist. They have some great works. Wonderful. wonderful. Oh, I can say more about this if you- Sure, yeah, we have time. <laughs> yep, go ahead. <laughs> so um, one thing that was really important to me about this book is that it's a first person perspective from children. So as the children are reading this book, they're not going to see any faces and they're going to see multiple, a variety of different skin tones throughout the book. And the point of that is, is that it's designed so that every single child reading this book can feel like it's a story that's about them. Um, the clothing even is gender neutral. I, I wanted it to, to be so fluid that child immediately felt like this was a story about them and was more relatable that way. So that was really uh, an important part of um, the way this I've delivered this particular book. Wonderful. Yep. I guess that's is very important to be inclusive now. I like the artwork. Thank you so much. Okay. And last but not least, let me show on the screen your contact information. Yep, my email address, my website, my phone number. Yep. And next, and this that's your social media. That's for my artist page, yep. And then I have separate social media for my books. So um, yeah. And the pre-order. Yes. How exciting. That's important. <laughs> and there's social media for the book. Yep. That is correct. Okay, and last, lastly, I th thank you, Amanda, for coming on my my show today. I really love your artwork. Thank you so much. It, I really appreciated your sharing your perspective on my art because um, I think autistic and neurodivergent minds are really um, good at communicating with each other and creating products, services, messages that we connect with. And so I think that um, as long as we continue this conversation, this that you do so well on your podcast, you just continue the conversation and you make it available for people to listen to and just to expose themselves to, you know, for us to expose ourselves to each other's perspectives and experiences and, um, that's huge. That seems like a small thing, but it's a huge thing because we're listening to each other and we're hearing about each other's perspectives and we're destigmatizing de neurodiversity and helping people to really appreciate it. Um, and that's, I think that that is, can be underestimated. Absolutely. Okay. Again, thank you, Amanda, for coming on the show. Uh, being neurodivergent, being neurodivergent with conditions such as autism means we are different, not broken. These differences should be celebrated and also we are not alone. Thank you everyone for listening today. Catch the next episode of the Neurosick Podcast if you can. And thank you again, Amanda.
Thank you.